You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. I cannot adequately tell you what a joy it is for me to be, uh, to be speaking here. Um, for, uh, you know, one of my favorite writers is Robert Murray McChain. And uh, uh, I have a book of his, which a basket of fragments, which I have been reading for the last 15 years or so. I haven't still finished it. Uh, but I read them very slowly, once a month or so, a little sermon. And I have been greatly blessed by them. And so it's a real joy for me to be ministering in the church where he ministered. Uh, I want to speak today about the community, well, some things about the community that Christ uh, gave to the, uh, the, that, that he established, which became somewhat of a prototype of the church that he was going to establish. And we are going to go through the first two chapters of Matthew and look at some passages that talk about the community life. Um, verse 14 talks about how Jesus started his work. Um, um, this is chapter 1 and verse 14 of Mark. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. A very general statement of the type of ministry that he was doing. But the first ministry activity that Mark records is given to us in verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee uh, in the boat uh, with the hired servants and followed him. The first ministry activity that is recorded for us here is the establishing of the community that was going to become the people of Jesus. And so he calls four disciples, and then he'll call a few more. Um, and all, uh, in this case, all four were fishermen. And we are told that when he calls them, they leave their nets to follow him. And that was a pattern of things to come. Now, God doesn't ask everyone to give up their professions and follow him. But he asks everyone to give up whatever hinders them serving God in order to follow him. And um, um, Christianity is essentially following Jesus, uh, making him the Lord of our life. And if anything comes in the way, it must go. And of course, Jesus is so great, uh, and um, we don't really sacrifice anything when we are uh, when we are coming to follow Him, because uh, it is always worthwhile. The net effect 
of our sacrifice is not sacrifice, but blessing. Uh, the great Scottish uh, missionary, David Livingston, uh, was once told when he came to Britain, uh, Dr. Livingston, you must have sacrificed a lot because of your work. And Livingston, we are told, was upset when he heard that. He said, sacrifice? The only sacrifice is to live outside the will of God. And so following Christ means following him as the Lord of our life and anything that prevents us from obeying him and doing his will has to go. Um, uh, I, I mentioned that most of our members of our church are from the Buddhist background. And we had a, a lady uh, who was converted and uh, she uh, was uh, sharing a flat with another lady from our church. And uh, the two of them were not getting on too well. They were having problems and uh, she would come and tell my wife and me uh, about the problems and what to do. And we kept telling her, you must talk to her. And she said, well, why do I have to talk to her? I said, no, we said, you know, the, we are Christians. We belong to the same community. And as in obedience to Christ, we have to, um, to make peace, to attempt to make peace with our brothers and sisters. And she found it so difficult to do this. And one day, in frustration, she said, it's so much easier to be a Buddhist, you know. Um, but the beautiful thing is that this lady, as she grew, she became a wonderful Christian. She had been one who had suffered of many nervous breakdowns. And, uh, and then she found her security in Christ. And thanks to her nervous disposition, uh, became a prayer warrior. God used her weakness as a strength. And she became a prayer warrior. And she went to be with the Lord uh, about three years, two or three years ago. Uh, knocked down by a bus. Uh, but uh, now rejoicing in the presence of her master. Uh, anything that hinders must go when we follow Christ. There, there, was a, there is a chain of, uh, of pharmacies uh, in, uh, uh, in America called the Eckerd Drugstores. And um, the, the, the founder and head of that company they have thousands of drug uh, of pharmacies all over the place. And um, the founder uh, became a Christian in later life. After he became a Christian, one day he walked into one of his drugstores and he saw all these adult magazines on the racks. And he suddenly realized, I'm selling this kind of stuff, you know. And he told his board and the leadership of the company that we have to take those all out of our racks. And they thought he was mad. And, you know, resisted it, but he insisted, and they followed through. And um, I think it was Charles Colson talking to him, asked him, uh, why did you do this? Was it because of your Christianity? And she said, why else would I sacrifice, give up millions of dollars? Uh, the, the call of God was such that he knew this had to go. And so today for us too, as we follow Jesus as the Lord of our life, there may be times when things that we like to do, which God says no, and it must go. Um, and, you know, there are many things in our cultures that have become acceptable that are not pleasing to God. 
And though everyone may think it is normal, we don't. And we fight those things in our lives and say and yield to the Lordship of Christ. The next feature about this community is that it is missional. Uh, and, um, and so um, uh, we are told that when he called uh, Peter and Andrew, uh, he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Right at the start was a call to service. And that's a Christian. A Christian is one who has been called into the body of Christ and now we pursue the ministry of Jesus on earth. We are all called um, to, to serve him. Uh, in fact, this is one of the most exciting things about Christianity, that we are all ambassadors of God, of Jesus, uh, 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 representing him on earth. The fishermen in those days were not necessarily poor people. Uh, they may have had uh, Peter and John. Peter and John, both families may have had a family business. We do not know. Uh, but um, what we know is that God called fishermen, several fishermen, and many others of different kinds of qualifications, and they were all sent to serve. Now you notice that uh, Jesus says, I will make you become fishers of men. So once they come in, they come under the training of Jesus. They don't uh, become um, effective, fruitful servants at once. Uh, there, there is a process of learning, and, uh, and in that process, they begin to learn how to serve God and how to be people of God. And it is a joy to be motivated by the truth that we are following the greatest leader and are involved in the greatest cause. Later, Paul would teach about gifts for service and show how everyone has been given gifts. Peter uh, implies that everyone has been given gifts. And Paul shows in 1 Corinthians 12 that there is nobody who is more significant than the other. Everyone is equally important in the sight of God, doing their part for the kingdom of God. Uh, I come from a family of fairly successful people, uh, uh, and they are very talented, and I'm the middle one, and for some reason, I was not half as talented as my brothers, uh, and, well, I had a sister who was much younger than us, but, uh, and, uh, you know, it was sort of, accepted that I'm the mediocre one in the family. And uh, later I found out that my father had said, I, I, we never thought he's going to amount to anything, uh, you know. And, uh, and I, was, I, I was aware of that. And it made me feel very inferior and shy. And I would get depressed. And then I met Jesus. And I found out that there is work to do. And I realized I can't waste time feeling sorry for myself. Now I have to do the work that God has called me to do. The great Lord of the universe has given us jobs to do. And no one stays on the sidelines when they belong to Jesus. And until the day we die, we can work 
for Jesus. There was a person whose name was Dr. Bacchus, who was a Christian leader, and he was very old and he was dying. And a doctor came to see him. And after examining him, you know, silently said something to the person who was looking after him and left. And Dr. Bacchus asked this person, uh, what did he say? And he said, uh, he said that you have only a few more minutes to live. And um, Dr. Bacchus said, then quick, get me on my knees and let me spend the rest of my life uh, praying for the salvation of the world. He was dying, but he was still serving God. Uh, in um, India, the first Indian bishop of the Anglican Church was a person called Vedanayagam Azariah. Uh, and during the time that he was heading this uh, diocese of Tinaveli, that is in the south, it was formerly uh, the bishop was uh, Bishop Stephen Neal, whom some of you may know the name. Um, well, it was actually later that he was uh, the bishop. Uh, but uh, when um, uh, during the time that Vedanayagam Azariah was the bishop, uh, he... Uh, uh, there were thousands of Hindus who came to Christ and he would go for the baptisms and he would get them to say after being baptized to put their heads on their, uh, their hands on their head and repeat and say I am now a baptized Christian woe to me if I do not preach the gospel Christians are missional. God has called us and given us a work to do. And so the moment we come to him, we are now found, now we seek and to save those who are lost. And then, of course, this community became the friends of Jesus. Um, uh, on earth, Jesus was restricted by virtue of the fact that he was a human. And because of that, he couldn't be close to everybody. And so he had these 12 people, but his relationship with those 12 gives us a glimpse of how he deals with all of us now that he's in his glorified state. And we become his friends. And he has a similar concern and care for all of us. So he appoints 12 people. In Mark chapter 3 verses 13 to 15, where we are told that he appointed those people. Three reasons are given for their appointment. The first is that they might be with him. And then the second is that they might go out to preach. And third, to cast out demons and to, and to be involved in the ministry of healing. The first reason is so that they might be with him. And, um, um, and then uh, we, we, we find him spending hours and hours and days with these people. Uh, in chapter 9, verses 31 to 32, uh, he, Jesus goes to a Gentile area and he's hiding from the people because we are told he's teaching his disciples. And towards the end of his life, in John 15, 15, he says, I don't anymore call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing. But I call you my friends. Because everything I have taught, uh, I have learned from the Father, I have taught you. And that's a wonderful way of Christian friendship. Friendship in the truth. We learn the word together. And through that, 
There is a depth of friendship that binds us through the word. A, a, a deeper foundation than all these human things that can, um, that can divide us. Um, later epistles, in, in, later in the epistles, Paul uh, and the other writers of the epistles describes our relationship with each other as the body of Christ. As we are related to Christ and to each other. So we are not only now friends of Jesus, but we are friends of each other. And this is our identity. We are Jesus' people, his friends, his followers. And as that, we are fellow friends with others who follow Jesus Christ. As we spend time with Jesus, we also spend time with our brothers and sisters because we are one family. This is why most of the commands regarding the Christian growth in the, in the Bible are in the plural. Uh, in English, you don't see that because the you in the, is, is both can be singular or plural. But, uh, but most of these things are in the plural. And, um, and um, for the disciples, this was a wonderfully blessed experience, but it also was a challenging experience. You know how when you get closer to people, conflicts arise. And amongst those disciples, there were conflicts, there was jealousy, there was competition, there was rejection by outsiders, there was pain. And then as they served God together, there was persecution. But deep friendships are formed through crises. As people have gone through a crisis together with God as their helper, they develop, they forge a deep friendship. How sad that today people can't be bothered to cultivate such friendships. You know, every culture has certain features of the culture which are very opposite to Christian values. And I think in the 21st century, one of those features of the culture which is so uh, opposite to Christian values is the idea of community. Community is a very inconvenient thing. But when we think of life, we don't think of it as individuals. We think of it as people who belong to a community. And our life is fashioned by the needs of that community. Of course, it doesn't mean that we are slaves of the community, because when we are slaves of this, when we are slaves of the community, that is how we achieve our fullest identity. Because God created us to be communal individuals. And those who are not communal are going to miss one of the essential features of humanness. And today, the world is trying hard to, to find alternatives through the internet, through social media and all of that, to try and resurrect this sense of community. I think we have one of the greatest um, features of the gospel to present to a, to a world that is sooner or later going to realize that they need community. And when they look to us, may they find it and not go elsewhere in search of community. How sad that people can't be bothered. It's too painful, too con time consuming. Um, and therefore, even within the church, we have superficial relationships. Programs in the church, small groups in the church 
are advertised as being for three months or six months. If you don't like it, you can leave. You know, and in three months or six months, you really can't develop uh, deep relationships with people. Uh, and what happens is that we miss the blessing of being God's powerful army on earth. True, it is inconvenient. One of the early church fathers said that the Christian church is like Noah's ark. If not for the judgment on the outside, you wouldn't stand the smell of it. You know, here, uh, it's, it's a smelly place. It's, it's inconvenient. But there's judgment on the outside. And we are a people who are on our way to heaven, serving God. So we are called to mission. But mission comes out of community, with Jesus and with fellow Christians. And, and it's very difficult in today's world to find time. But we find time for what we consider to be most important. And this should be one of those things. So, we have a community of people, uh, friendships with Jesus and with fellow Christians. And then, we have a community which reaches out to the marginalized. A community where barriers are broken. So, we come to verse 40. And we are told, and a leper came out, implore, this is chapter 1 of Mark, and a leper came out, came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and, and he was clean. Um, and so Jesus um, Touches a leper. Um, in those days, touching a leper was prohibited because, uh, because of the infectious nature of the diseases that came under the term leprosy. And people would be revolted by the idea of touching a leper. But, if Je but Jesus touches him and heals him and then initiates a process by which he's integrated into society according to the laws of the Old Testament. And ever since that time, Christians have been in the forefront of caring for people who are considered untouchables by society. And leprosy has been one of those areas. St. Francis of Assisi was once riding his horse when he came across a beggar who was, uh, uh, who was a leper. And he um, confronted by this beggar, he spurred on his horse to get away from this. And suddenly he was overwhelmed with remorse. And having turned away, he said that uh, he had turned away from his brother's need. He was actually galloping away from God who suffered in every man's suffering. And so he turned back and dismounted and kissed the beggar's hand as an expression of his love for that person. Since then, of course, Christians have been very involved in the work of leprosy. Uh, the leprosy mission was founded by um, Wellesley Bailey, um, who, uh, uh, who, which is a big mission, and now they have a new challenge because leprosy is growing in many countries. It's growing in Sri Lanka. 
Um, Paul Brand, a medical doctor, uh, pioneered some findings about leprosy. And his wife, Margaret Brand, pioneered uh, medical uh, operations for the eyes of people who suffered from leprosy. So Jesus um, went to the marginalized. And then we come to chapter 2, where uh, he comes, he meets a moral and religious outcast. Uh, This is chapter 2 and verse 14. And he passed by, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Uh, These, of course, were despised people. They were considered traitors. Usually they were dishonest. And they were uh, not allowed usually to go to the, they were considered, they were banned from entering the synagogue as, as, as good devout Jews. But Christ can change people. And obviously Levi was changed because he's almost certainly the one who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and so um, verses 15 to 17 tells us that as he reclined at table in his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus, reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes uh, of, um, of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with sinners, with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it and he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So he went and was having relaxed, warm, and friendly conversation. In the atmosphere of a meal, uh, he had become the friend of sinners and of despised people. Several years ago, uh, I saw a wayside pulpit outside a church, and every week, I suppose, they change their whatever statement they have outside. And this particular week, the statement was, a man is known by the company he keeps. The first thought that came to me was, tax collectors and sinners. That was the company Jesus kept. And that's the company. We need to be going after such people. Uh, Perhaps a person who has come to Christ recently and who was addicted to sin, uh, a new believer needs to be careful uh, about going back immediately and hanging out with the friends um, who could lead him or her astray. But we, mature Christians, we should seek the friendship of those who are outside. And that's something we have to proactively go after Because usually mature Christians have less and less contact with non-Christians. And we must go after them because we are people with a mission. Like Jesus, when the uh, scribes and Pharisees questioned him, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we look at people despised by the religious establishment, at sinners, and we seek to introduce them 
to the gospel of Christ who can make them new people. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5 uh, verses 14 to 17, you see a wonderful sequence about the way we look at people. Uh, verse 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us. And then he says, because it's because of a conviction. The love of Christ controls us because we are convinced that Christ, that one died for all, therefore all died. And therefore those who live should not live for him, but for him uh, who was, uh, should not live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. So Christ died for everyone. Therefore, Paul says, therefore we no longer regard anyone from a human point of view. Though we once regarded people like that. Now what is important is not sinner or saint. Um, uh, well, that is important. Uh, but uh, not rich or poor, uh, despised or, or accepted by society. That's not what's important. Then what is important? The next verse, verse 17 says, For if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The, new, the old has gone and the new has come. We look at people through the eyes of the gospel and we see that these people could well become the children of God. And so if they know Christ, well, they are our brother, our sister, and we embrace them with the joy of the Lord. If they don't know Christ, we seek them, we woo them with the love of Christ. You know, today uh, the news is talking a lot about uh, the jihad movement and the Muslims and everything that happened last week. And usually when a Westerner uh, hears the word Muslim, uh, they think jihad or terrorism. I think when a Christian hears the word Muslim, what they should think is gospel. These people need Jesus more than anything else. And so this is what pushes us. People need the Lord. Uh, uh, part of my work uh, in Youth for Christ for many years was supervising our drug rehab ministry. And so still, every Christmas morning, I go there, do a service with the uh, people, the students in the center. And uh, on New Year's Eve, I go there and do a service uh, to help them usher in the new year. And I usually sleep with them in their dorm. And one year, about 10, maybe 15 years ago, I was, um, I was with them chatting after the service. And one of the students there talked about his former life. He said he sleeps most of the day. Then he gets up in the evening and at night he will go and rob. He goes to homes and robs homes. And then in the morning he will sell what he robbed and with the money he got he would buy drugs and then he would, you know, take the drugs and then go to sleep. And as he was saying this, I thought to him, I thought to myself, what if he came to my house? I would have been so mad at this guy. And here he is telling me about his lifestyle. But God changed him. That was 15 years ago maybe. Today he's a leader in his church, he's married, he's doing his own business. He supports our work. God can change people. And so whether they be outcasts, whether they be people whom we have separations from, in Christ, 
all of these people can become one. I never forget reading um, uh, the book by Philip Yancey called The Jesus I Never Knew. I had dropped my daughter who had gone to visit a friend and I was staying in the car, in the van, uh, until my daughter came, finished her appointment. I was reading this book and I was, re I was reading about how Jesus went to all these unusual people. And I thought to myself, if my, one of my children wants to marry the child of a prostitute, and that child is a very good, and that person is a very good Christian, and is walking with the Lord, but comes from this background, would I accept it? And I was thinking now, and I finally had to say, if she is suited to marry my son, or he is suited to marry my daughter, I must accept it. Otherwise, the gospel would not be true. Well, my, my children didn't marry children of prostitutes, but my, uh, Sri Lanka is a country that has, has been in war. And when my daughter married, we were having the war between the Sinhalese and the Tamil, the two races. And I found out that a, I'm, I'm a Sinhalese. And I found out that a Tamil was in love with my daughter. And I knew this guy. He was a wonderful, he was a member of our staff. Wonderful Christian. And so before my daughter accepted his overtures, I was praying that she would. Because now in Christ, these things are broken. Let me just quickly talk about one more thing. It is a celebratory community. In chapter 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. So, uh, you know, uh, this is a time of great rejoicing, Jesus was saying. The Savior of the world has come. And the disciples are in the rejoicing mode. However, soon... Uh, he's going to be taken away. Then they will start the normal life, which is a life with pain and, uh, and uh, weeping and fasting and all of that will come back. But now we will fast and celebrate. Uh, now we will, will do both fasting and celebrating. Uh, rejoicing and weeping. Um, so when the Bible speaks of the lost being found, it uses celebratory language. What a wonderful chapter, Luke 15 is. The lady who lost her coin has a party to rejoice when the sheep was found, the disciple, the, the, the shepherd is rejoicing. And what a powerful way the celebration of the father is described when the son comes home. Usually in that culture, 
older people don't run. And here is this person. He would have to live. We wear clothes something like what they used to wear. And if you're going to run with those clothes, you'll have to lift it up a bit. It was very uncouth. But this father ran. Ran. Kissed him. And there was singing and dancing and feasting. Because the son who, had, who was lost had been found. Jesus is so wonderful that joy is the hallmark of Christianity. We have experienced his salvation. And how easy it is for us to lose that childlike appreciation of the love of Christ. You know, there is so much hypocrisy, so much injustice in the world that we could be crippled by cynicism or maybe a crippling workload or hurt which could take away our joy and, um, and make us uh, unhappy, angry people. But Jesus is so wonderful that his love is greater than all the malice, the wickedness, the hypocrisy in this world. And joy, and we are people of joy. When John Newton was dying, uh, he said, my memory is almost gone. But I can remember two things. One, that I am a great sinner. And that Christ is a wonderful Savior. We have found the Savior. And so worship in the Christian church includes celebration. But we live in the in-between period before the consummation of this kingdom has come. And so in this period, there will also be lament and there will be mourning. But nothing can take away the fact that the Savior has come and that he is marching on to complete his work. So my dear friends, may God help us to be a community that, that has the vibrancy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, when I was a young person, um, I lived in a church, I was in a church that was, and, and most of the churches in Sri Lanka were very liberal. They didn't believe in the uniqueness of Christ. They didn't want to do evangelism. They didn't believe in hell. And it was a, it was a terrible time to be in the church. And um, people prayed, and they prayed and yearned for revival. And um, today, the liberals are complaining that they don't have a place to air their views because the church has turned around. The impossible has happened. God can do the impossible. As I come to Europe, very often I sense a strong sense of discouragement among the people of God. And they wonder... Is it, is it ever going to change? The gospel has not lost its power. God is the creator of humans. And only the creator can truly fulfill humans. And however people may resist the truth of God, one day they will have to realize that only Jesus will give them the fulfillment they seek. 
Let's not lose hope because we can be the people of God and we can usher in the revival that needs to come to Europe. May God bless you as you seek to be such a people. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have called us to be part of this community. We thank you that to submit to your Lordship is a sweet experience of peace and joy. And oh, may not our stubbornness prevent us from following you fully. If there is anything that stops us, Father, from being fully your servants, oh, may we yield it to you. May we surrender so that you can give us new life as a result of that surrender. And also we thank you that you have called us to be a missional people, that you have given us a work to do. And we pray that through our lives, the radical gospel of Jesus Christ may be demonstrated. And through our words, the saving gospel of Jesus may be communicated to the people. Use us, Father, to be your people in wherever you place us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.